And we are live. I always like saying that because Joe Rogan says it. But okay, guys, um, I've been actually waiting to do a podcast with Matt for a long time because as you guys may know, I am quite the science geek, or actually, as you may not know, I am super into like singularity and stuff and future technology. And uh, I, I just need to talk about these things to let these ideas out and express myself in this area. And I don't get to talk about this much. And so uh, the guy who I have on today is absolute serial entrepreneur beast. And I met him in Chiang Mai pun space like two or three years ago. No, sorry, three or four years ago. And he was doing Amazon FBA. And then he since has gone on to sell his Amazon FBA business for like close to a million dollars. Uh, I'll ask him the uh, exactly how much here in a second. And then uh, he went on to start an Amazon FBA podcast called FBA All-Stars and start another podcast uh, about investing. And then recently another podcast about science and future technology. And uh, so I hit him up. I'm like, dude, yeah, let's, let's, let's geek out together and do a podcast about future tech. So the one and only Matt Ward is here today. Sounding, dude. I don't know. I don't know about one and only. Everyone is named Matt Ward. It makes it so hard for Twitter and everything. But thanks for the intro, Riley. Yeah, for sure. So um, let's. I really want to get into uh, your take on all these uh, future tech videos that you're doing. But I just wanted to ask you. Um, I haven't asked him yet. I just. I was just like, let's just go live and record it all. Um, what was the story with your FBA business? I know your whole thing was. Uh, you know, the road to seven figure sales. So did you sell it and was it close to a million or yeah, how did it go? Yeah, so I started I started FBA and FBA All-Stars, the podcast, and I think it was 2000, 2004, no, 2005. So I came up with uh, the tagline, step one to seven figures. It sounded pretty good. It was completely a joke. And I figured, hey, if I have this as a tagline, it'll make the podcast more successful. And that that's all yeah. cool. And eventually yeah. I'm kind of the person where I go, I go pretty hard with things. The business was the business was moving, and I decided, well, shit, I might as well double down on this and really try to do it. So I ended up selling the business a little bit more than seven figures, one point two. It's on an earnout. It's on a earnout for that now. But uh, yeah, it worked out pretty well. It was a it was a crazy fucking twelve months of not sleeping very much, hell of a lot of effort, and reinvesting everything, basically living off living off nothing in Southeast Asia. And, thousand bucks a month type deal but uh yeah it was a it was a wild and crazy ride awesome well um congrats on that uh just for people that are probably wondering like how long did it take you to start your fba business to sell it for like 1.2 mil it was a year 12 months wow yeah um so, I'm, this, i mean it, it, was, yeah. it was it was nuts like i i yeah it it was a terrible decision in hindsight but it was the kind of thing where it's like if you're it's like you're at the bar with somebody and the guy's like you know i think i could take this guy i i should fight him it's a terrible idea you don't want to do it you kind of jump into it because you get pulled into the situation it was kind of like that and that's uh that's more or less how how i did that sold the business and then used that to have a little bit of money for investing in startups yeah absolutely um so yeah, there you go, guys. And one example of it can be done. You can build a physical product business just based on Amazon and sell it for within a year for seven figures. Of course, he is the outlier. He is uh, one of those 
I call them beast entrepreneur people who are absolute hustlers. Um, but hey, it can be done. It is possible. So that's a great story. Um, and then you have since gone on to start the uh, Is Your Investing podcast. Is that still going on? Or I, I saw the, your website up there. Um, yeah. The anyways, syndicate. You did that. Yeah, that's going, it's going really well. So I, I wanted to get into exponential technologies and start working more with startups. My background, I'm, I'm pretty good working with companies. I advise a handful now of, of promising startups and working with them on growth strategy, marketing, business direction, et cetera. But I wanted to get more into the investing side of things because when you have uncapped upside but capped downside, i.e. you can put one, five, ten thousand $10,000 into a company and that's either going to turn into zero or it can turn into a thousand times that the the returns can be ridiculous and that's why venture yeah. capital and angel investing is so it's such a it's such a big thing when you have big wins so what the syndicate is the syndicate.vc i interview the world's leading angel investors vcs so we've had some ridiculous folks on like there's there's gil pencina he's had six or seven unicorn companies he's invested in um joey krug's one of the leaders in blockchain tim, tim o'reilly is a freaking god of futurism and investing, Esther Dyson, same deal. But I get these type of people on the podcast so that I can A, meet them. It's an incredible way to meet really smart people to have deal yeah. flow. And then we have uh, angel investment syndicate. So for people that are interested in investing in early stage companies, and if they're accredited investors, they can invest alongside us. To be an accredited investor, you need to have a, you need to have a million in net worth excluding your primary residence or two years, the past two years, you earned at least $200,000. But yeah, I've been doing that to awesome. meet really interesting companies and invest in them. And it's, yeah, it's going well. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And I saw, uh, I listened to your Aubrey de Grey interview, which is, uh, he's all about extending uh, human longevity. I followed that guy for a while. So let's get straight into the AI future tech stuff. And here is your, uh, here's Matt's YouTube channel, guys. Um, it's called Fringe FM. This is where he geeks out about science and future tech stuff. So let's talk about, let's see, uh, this is totally unscripted. Like, what do we want to get into first? Um, actually, let me just ask you an open-ended question first, a very open-ended question that I think about a lot. Um, in this day and age, in the, in the time that we're living in right now, what is the biggest issue? Like, what is the most important thing right now? Like, what's, I don't know, it's kind of a vague question, but what is like, what's the biggest issue in our, in our time, in our lifetime, me and, me and yours lifetime? I would say the biggest issue is that we have a lot of people that are living like sheep and they're just doing whatever they've been told to do. They're going to college, they're getting a job, they're getting a ton of debt. Oh shit, now there's not a job for me to have. And even if there was a job, I was gonna be working in a shitty corporate cubicle, not really doing much. So what I've found and the way I like to think about the world is, it doesn't take 10X the effort to deliver 10X the results. So I'm a big fan of Peter Diamandis and going for moonshot type creation and uh, change in the world. So I would say there's just not enough people think and realize, holy shit, I can actually do this. I can do something impossible and try to change the world. So like with Fringe FM, you were looking at that. Uh, that's our YouTube channel. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do there 
Fringe FM, it's like a long-form TED where I get those same caliber of people. I think 60 to 70% of our guests have been TED or TEDx speakers. I get them on, but we discuss not just this one specific thing for like five or 10 minutes. We talk about everything. So if you have an expert in AI, sure, they might be able to talk to you about neural nets and machine learning, but they can also explain the implications of AI when it comes to genetics and then talk about how they're working on living longer using different types of health practices than are traditional. And there's so many different things. It's all kind of converging as technology is moving faster and faster. And as we have, exactly, Singularity University. And yeah, as we I have- uh, so I know all about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, doing an they're doing an incredible job. And what we're doing is we're getting those type of people on to discuss not just motivation, uh, there's a lot of motivational stuff from Singularity University. Not just that, but the, the, the nitty gritty of what it looks like, because if we can inspire people and to realize, I don't, have to, I don't have to do something small with my life, I can do something really fucking big, I can love doing it, yeah. and it'll take about the same amount of effort, and I'll probably make a shit ton more money doing it. That's kind of the, that's kind of the way that I like to think about the world is, if you're solving the right problems, then, things just start to move in that direction. Especially we have so much technology now that's rapidly advancing. AI, genetics, space, yeah. um, compute, uh, the cost of hardware, everything's going down. And as that happens, if you can ride all of those curves together, it becomes a really, really, really interesting exponential. Yeah, yeah. As uh, that part of the video, he was talking about law of exponential returns. So most people mm -hmm. watching this far into the this video will be familiar with law of exponential, uh, exponential returns, accelerating returns, whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah, I guess if, for people that don't, and just a refresher, um, I, ever since I shut the TV off about six to eight years ago and just consuming YouTube, I went down this whole wormhole of various subjects, but the singularity and Ray Kurzweil and Peter Diamandis was one of the one of my favorite ones and a huge, huge eye opener. And kind of the summary is technology advances exponentially. So what we may we may think that technology in the year in like twenty years from now will be like twenty times crazier, twenty times faster. But really it'll be exponentially every year it doubles. So it'll be somewhere like close to a billion times faster or something like that. So we are living right now in the, in the crux of the curve where um, these computer technologies are right now, like right now in the early two, 2000s are blowing up, exploding in capacity. And that has huge, huge implications. Like in a hundred years, years from now and in, in, in uh, 30 years from now, as Kurzweil predicts somewhere around 2045 uh, will be the year of the singularity where there's literally you, uh, humans uh, or machine learning and uh, AI will basically surpass humans you know, for the infinite future and it will change everything. And so we live in very, very interesting times when we think about like, this is, this is possibly, I mean, obviously the most interesting time to live in ever because you know throughout all of human history it's been like nothing you know a thousand thousands and thousands of years stone age hundred thousand years you know bronze age and then all of a sudden a couple hundred years ago oh we invent technology we invent electricity 
boom and it's just like boom we're going to the we're going to the stars that famous graph it's just like one point in history we invent technology electricity and, and computers and then boom now we're like a new race is about to be created a new super intelligence is about to be created with ai so um and interesting times indeed well, I, th uh, I think i think personally humans are splitting off and and will be splitting off at an even faster rate as technology advances as well you i mean you can see it just with people that I mean, you can see it just with people that go to McDonald's every day, and it might be because they can't afford to do something better. But between between health and what you're consuming in terms of information, I, you can already see a splitting of humanity. But as the technology, mm -hmm. medical technology, CRISPR, biotech, etc., becomes more advanced, and we start understanding more about personalized nutrition and health, we're going to get to the space, I think, pretty quickly where you have different species of human. Because if you're 100 IQ points higher than someone else, they're probably not gonna be very interesting for you to have a conversation with, and more so, they're not gonna be that interesting for you to have babies with. So eventually that kind of becomes a network effect. Wow, so, okay, this is, a, yeah, this is a very interesting subject. And like, as I'm looking at myself, I have these white things like in my ears mm -hmm. and like, we don't even really think twice about it. But like so many of these guys are like, we already are living cyborgs. I have a microphone this is like a telepathic device pretty much built into my ear, but who knows, 10 years, it could be invisible, like inside of it. And there's already people that are getting chips, like put in their wrists to their key cards, like put inside of their skin. And this is just the beginning. We're going to look back at like at this time when we're our parents' age and our grandparents' age, and we're going to be like, yep, wow, that was the beginning of the merger between like, you know, wet intelligence and, and uh, computers. And um, it's interesting though, okay, so this divide in humans, I see what you're saying. And a lot of people have this concern as we move into this more technological crazy age, um, like are these advanced technologies, let, let's just say that there becomes a technology where we can um, upload our brains to the cloud and essentially live forever in, in a simulation, like is this, only going to be available to people with money and like to the to the higher you know to the only the upper class like only the elite like they say and are they just going to like leave humanity behind because i also studied geopolitics and you know the the whole global uh, elite system and you know new world order and people who are you know in control of all these tech companies and like the bilderberg meeting and like you know, they're obviously meeting with all the, the AI companies or meeting with all the high level uh, politicians and, and companies and banks around the world. And like, hmm, what's the plan? Like this, yeah, what's your what's your take on this going in, into the future? Like, So if you look at technology, it's always built for rich people and eventually enough rich people buy it that it reaches scale so that the prices start to come down. That's mm -hmm. how it works with phones. That's how it works with cars. That's how it works with everything. This will likely be no different, but I, when I talk to, it's interesting. So these are the type of conversations I have. If you guys like this, go to fringe.fm. Every episode is like this and quite yeah. a hardcore way with, with different experts. But the, yeah. the thing is with, with a lot of these exponential technologies, specifically for me, genetic engineering. So if you're able to make your brain a couple percent better than someone else, if you're able to make it so that suddenly your cells are aging a couple percent slower than someone else, well, that's gonna be expensive initially because everyone is going to want that. Now, 
if you're able to make these shifts really quickly, you're shortening the time period of evolution. Typically, evolution's on the order of hundreds of thousands of years. Well, if you're able to make these changes happen, not every 100,000 years, but either in your lifetime or for your children and their children and their children, it becomes an accelerating takeoff, so to speak, of the, the differences between between people, between species. It's kind of funny, the camera's blurring a little bit and you look like a young Tim Ferriss right now. But <laughs> but anyway, yeah, anyway you'll, you'll, you'll have to look at that, uh, you'll have to look at that later. But anyways, um, as these, as these technologies progress, I could definitely foresee a situation where there's a bit of an escape velocity. So the people that get in early and are changing themselves more rapidly are changing so quickly that the rest of society, especially people, I mean, especially people in third world countries, et cetera, they're just not able to keep up. And a couple of things that people don't normally think about. So A, increased intelligence is obvious. You can make a shit ton more money. But increased longevity, if you live longer, let's say I'm going to live instead of 100 years, I'm going to live for two, three, 500 years. A, there's not going to be any type of inheritance being passed to my grandkids. There's not going to be any type of taxes from that inheritance tax going to the countries. And let's say I just leave my money in something that makes 5 or 10% per year compounded. I'm going to be fucking rich beyond belief, intelligent beyond belief, strong beyond belief, while the rest of society is still going forward dying, I can afford to do anything I need to, to be able to enhance myself and live longer because at least in my opinion, and I think in a lot of the opinion of a lot of educated people, there's nowhere that we're headed after this. So that's, um, that's some things to think about that we don't really talk about. I don't like when you hear, when you hear about these, the billionaire bunkers in New Zealand and trying to prepare your, I mean, there, there's two yeah. concepts. You can either try to make the world more equal and go towards a, a universal basic income, a socialism, a, a communism, a, somehow a resource-based economy, or you can bulletproof your Teslas and build up massive compounds and try to protect yourself. Unfortunately, it looks like we've been moving more towards the bulletproof Teslas approach where Mark Zuckerberg buys an entire neighborhood so that he doesn't have to deal with people living next to him. But it kind of makes you wonder of what happens as the differences become too extreme, because we've seen throughout history, when there's massive extreme differences and the the lower population levels are the ones that have tons of people, you have problems. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think there was some graph where it's like, or some stat where it's like, actually the most productive economies in history always, or yeah, always uh, produce the most wealth disparity. Like a productive economy, mm -hmm. like a successful economy and free economy just naturally produces wealth disparity. And this is definitely one of the issues moving forward. And it's even today, it's a huge, huge topic. Uh, you know, universal basic income is being thrown around in the media a lot like now. Like, you know, Zuckerberg's being asked about this concept and like, I don't know, like, you know, at the face, it definitely seems like we should not do this. Like less government control, like is, is good. You know, more freedom is good. But like, as we go into this age of like superhuman, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, but um, yeah, but, oh, so here's, here's an idea that just came into my head. So I've always had this uh, a thought of this future society that's based off of sports. So once AI pretty much, okay, so yeah, this is like in the future, once AI has taken pretty much like all the jobs, once we like don't have to work because energy is abundant, like there's unlimited solar, 
unlimited like farms growing everywhere. Food is abundant. Once like everything is abundant and we like the only jobs that are left are like, you know, like creative jobs and like stuff like that. Um, and like really there are no, you know, for all the working class, for pretty much everyone, there's like no more, like no one needs to work anymore. So it's like, what do we do? And I'm thinking like kids don't have to work. What do kids do to pass the time and to, to be fulfilled in life? They play sports and they play games and they do competitions. So it's like, what if there's a future society where instead of nine to five or whatever, um, instead of like your main task during the day is going to your job and like working for someone in exchange for like a, a paycheck or whatever it may be. What if there's a future society where it's like your main thing is you're going to your practice to play like your sport and everyone or most people, you know, that are capable, physically capable of like really into sports. And like, that was like the main economy, like each, each little community was like, uh, whether you pick badminton or like American football or soccer or chess or checkers, it was just like a game play based society. Anyways, maybe I should write a script and give it a, a movie. Uh, it, would, it would definitely it would definitely reduce healthcare costs. Um, I think uh, yeah. actually, if you guys go to fringe.fm/youtube, there's a there's a video right there. You'll see it because it looks very scanty and uh, seductive. It's uh, utopia of sex and robotics. But we had a we had Jamikashio on the program. He's a real prominent futurist, and he was thinking about these type of problems too. And he thinks well, he thinks within a hundred years or so, we'll be at the point where we just have so much taken care of for us, things are created. We don't really have to deal with it. We have robots. So people kind of just live in like a, a sex, drugs and rock and roll type scenario where the drugs don't affect you negatively. You can have lots of sex without problems and you have robots there to serve your, serve your every needs. I like to think personally. So what I've seen is the most compelling system is some type of resource-based economy where for instance, I don't know how many of you, I mean, I, I imagine it's a smaller percentage than normal, but I don't know how many of you have cars. Well, what, what the hell is the point of having a car? You just need to get somewhere. If you have an Uber type system for a city, et cetera, you can start to cut these things out. Well, you're able to do that with not just cars. You're able to do that with a lot of other things as well for schools, for teachers, for basketball courts. I mean, shit, if you really want to get complicated, you could do it for clothes, but you don't really yeah. need to own stuff. You just want to have access when you need it. So if we're able to do that, then we're able to cut out for cars. It's something like Cars are used 5% of the time. If you're able to cut out all of these material needs, you're able to go to a higher level of living with a lower level of cost, GDP, pollution, et cetera. But I think personally, if we get to that era of abundance, I'm not sure if it's possible or if human needs will and greed will always grow, but I would think it would be like a more of a creative type renaissance. So yeah. rather than working to make money, I would still want to have these type of conversations because they're interesting and these type of conversations help people with learning. So then ever, and then maybe there's another guy and he likes to play music and the piano, another guy, and he's working on teaching kids to become better yada yadas. Everyone's doing something productive, but not to be productive. They're doing it because that's their passion and that's what they're creative about, but because they're doing it in a society where it's less about ownership and it's more about creativity, you, you want to own, your creative creations, because how else do you differentiate yourself? So you're more likely to focus on creating things that add value for the community as a whole. That's the most compelling type system I've seen 
for something uh, for a futuristic abundance type situation, which isn't exactly communism. It isn't exactly capitalism. Yep. Yeah, I like it. I like the idea. Um, and of course, you know, we're, we're very lucky that um, people like you and I have the time and the resources to do a passion project like this. Like not everyone has the time. Um, you know, we both have, you know, successful businesses. I have an online business. You had an online business, sold it. Now you're working on your passion. And I think at the end of the day, that's what people want. We, as Tim Ferriss says, uh, everyone wants to be happy. But what does that mean? It means we want to be excited. We want to live an exciting life. So everyone just wants to live a happy and exciting life. And uh, if more people are doing that in the world, I guess um, that's good. Increasing uh, net happiness in the world, as they say. Um, and uh, overall, I think I think you and I, I'm definitely an optimist when it comes to technology, but there, as they say, uh, technology has always been a double-edged sword ever since the invention of fire, as uh, Kurzweil like, likes to say. Um, but uh, yeah, all we can do is hope and be optimistic that we keep it swinging in the right direction for the most part. I mean, technology helps mm -hmm. and hurts people every day. The um, best definition I've seen is from Kevin Kelly. He says humanity is 51% good and 49% bad. So every year we get about one to 2% better. And that's mm -hmm. kind of, if you look at it, humanity and life, quality of life, et cetera, gets exponentially better, but it's not a huge exponential. It's a small exponential because we do have, I mean, there are good things about people. There are bad things about people, but on average, we're, we're more good than bad. Yeah. Yep. True, true, true. Agree. And uh, travel definitely helps uh, uh, realize that as you travel and you're like, oh, everyone's just, everyone's nice. Um, hey, all right. Let's hey, go into a, uh, a new, okay. Your recent, most recent video, let's just talk about this, is the future of e-commerce. So um, you posted that just, uh, just today. Um, I didn't watch it. So give me your spiel on the future of e-commerce. Yeah, so we've started doing live streams now with Fringe FM. This is the we have an interview series where I'll talk to the world's leaders, but then we also have a, a live stream where we'll go through and do some Q and A's. And this is actually a re-recording of a previous one because it turned out my microphone sucked and the video was terrible. But essentially, where I see e-commerce going is I think where a lot of us see e-commerce going. Amazon's dominating more and more. I think in 20, 2018, Amazon's going to be fifty plus percent of e-commerce in the U.S. and it's growing internationally while e-commerce is only five to ten percent of overall sales even that number even that number is continuing to accelerate so the future of e-commerce the question is is it standalone is it platform i think we've seen that there's a vast majority that's platform but for myself as someone who is selling on amazon i didn't trust amazon you're playing on someone else's playground well what happens when they just want to kick you off the playground you have to go find a new playground that's really problematic when there's one big playground and the rest of them kind of suck so with Amazon, what they're doing now is, as, as they've built up, they built a third-party marketplace, which has grown and grown and grown. That was never their intention, but it started to work, and they realized we should do this. Now Amazon's new intention, what they've shifted is, if you look on Amazon, I'm sure a lot of you guys sell on Amazon, you'll see more and more and more Amazon Basics products. What Amazon's doing is they're just taking all the sales data from sellers and then just creating their own version of the product. They're using their scale with shipping, their scale with 
uh, manufacturers and to Bezos's, your margin is my opportunity to cut people out. And by the way, because they control the algorithm, they can just put themselves at number one every time, which is what they do. And then they're getting all of the sales for all of the products. Now, traditionally, Amazon Basics products are products that you don't really give a shit about. It's toilet paper, it's a toothbrush, et cetera. And that's what a lot of private label brands were, were things that people didn't really care what the brand was, they just cared about the product. But Amazon's doing more and more of this on their own because their goal is to own a larger and larger percentage of the overall global economy. So they do it for e-commerce, they're doing it now, they bought Whole Foods, which is really interesting implications when you take into account Alexa. So we have this voice technology. Hey Alexa, can you go order me, uh, well, we said toilet paper before. Shoot Alexa, I just ran out and I'm on the toilet. I need more toilet paper. <laughs> Alexa goes and orders that. Well, if if Alexa, which is owned by Amazon, is ordering something, obviously, via Amazon.com, who are they going to order from? They're going to order from Amazon. Everything that you buy via voice will increasingly have less and less selection because it's convenient. Uh, it's convenient to get something really quickly. So yeah. they're, they're pushing the sales to themselves. So these voice technologies, hey, Alexa, I want to have pizza tonight. Can you order the ingredients? Hey, Alexa, I want to have this. Can you order the ingredients? Eventually, I see the integration with something like a Pinterest where oh, I see all of these different recipes. This would be so good. Monday night, Friday night, Thursday night. And now all these shipments are coming from Whole Foods. Amazon doesn't have to sell like they sell Whole Foods prices. They sell at Amazon prices, which means they're able to reach a larger and larger section of the, of the overall economy, at least in the US. They're, they're trying to become more and more of a overall, we sell everything that you ever need and cut everyone else out type marketplace and player. And that's what I see happening with e-commerce. So if you don't have a really strong brand, it's really, really hard to stand out. Now, building brands, I think brands are becoming less and less valuable. I know for myself, now it, it depends on who you're dealing with. But I, I think personally, and this might just be idealistic, that brands are more or less just marketing you something you probably don't need. And if it's something that you do need, then there's not really a purpose for a brand other than buy this and not that. I see us moving towards a world of a, of a Star Trek type deal where you have a shirt on, there's no logo on the shirt, you eat a sandwich, there's no brand from the sandwich, you eat all of these things, but it's just because you need them. You become more, what's the word, utilitarian. I think we move towards a more utilitarian world, but at the same time, I also see us moving towards a more consumerist world. So the question is, which ultimately wins out? Is it the price or is it the, is it the product? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess um, paralleling that with right now, you know, we, we definitely have both extremes, although the minimalist movement or, or uh, whatever you want to call it is getting more popular. Like someone like me, I live out of a backpack and a suitcase and I meet, uh, you know, others all the time that do and feel that they're more happy with less stuff. And uh, on the swing side of things, there are people that uh, are happy, you know, because uh, they like buying all the stuff. So they think yeah, they're happy. That's yeah, right. Exactly. They, at least they think they're happy. Um, mm -hmm. So about the Amazon thing. So I was asking some homies about this recently and I think about this, like I'm an Amazon seller and Amazon. I would sell, like, I would sell the business. I would sell your business personally. I, I don't trust yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab absolutely. Like that's the plan. You know, that was the plan even when we were talking in, in fun space, you know, like when we were just starting, like, yeah, sell the business. And um, we're definitely looking into that, um, looking into the long term as every entrepreneur does. But as Amazon is getting so big, like, I, I don't know if it's in like people on the mainstream media are even talking about like, should Amazon be broken up? 
what do you think about that? Is that good for humanity? If Amazon has like a 50% chunk of all online sales in America, and if they're, they even want to get bigger and go into more and more countries, like, is this good for humanity as a whole? Or should this, is it, is it technically unethical? Show me someone who could break up Amazon. So what are you going to do to consumers and say, sorry, guys, you can't have your, the thing with luxury, how it works is we, we live life and we're pretty minimalist. And then we start to encounter new things. We like these new things and wow, that makes my life easier. Holy shit, how did I ever live without this? Yeah, I'm never going back. How like so Amazon Amazon kind of owns a bit of everything. Now let's say let's just play this let's just play this out from like a a devil's a devil's uh well devil's perspective. I can't think of the word right now. Let's play devil's advocate. That is exactly the word. Sometimes you just miss it. Let's play devil's advocate. Let's say Amazon wanted to play dirty. If Amazon turned off AWS, 70% of the internet would go out overnight. Now, obviously, Amazon's never going to do that because it would destroy their business. But when you look at how Amazon is built, everything that it's built around is built around serving others. So if you try to break up Amazon, you're either going to ruin the way the internet works, you're going to make it so people that love their health food can't have health food, you're going to kind of destroy the e-commerce business for all of these sellers, Amazon has, um, they're kind of using everyone else as a hostage. There's not a lot that you can really do to destroy Amazon. Sure, you could split it off into different businesses, which, sure, it might have some impact, but if Bezos owns X percent of each business, then it's just, I mean, it's just window dressing. It doesn't really yeah. matter. I agree that, so here's the second part of the video. So as Amazon does become bigger and bigger and larger and more successful, it becomes harder and harder to compete because they're funneling business through to themselves. Margins go down because that's the nature of a competitive platform, especially one that doesn't care about making money and makes the money off the fees. As these prices go down, more and more sellers have to drop out because they're not able to play at these low costs. Well, when that happens, you have less and less selection other than Amazon, who's of course still at the top. Eventually when you have a monopoly, yay, now we can start to increase our prices again. And we control yeah. everything and consumers don't even notice or don't even care. So it's, it's terrible for consumers overall as that grows. Initially, it's great for consumers. It brings down the price. It's more access. If you're living in whatever middle of the country, you can get stuff delivered. You can get it delivered the next day. It's incredible. That's how I got this, this new microphone. I got it like the next day or two days later, and it's great. But I think there are some major negative implications. So with e-commerce, there's a couple of different types of business models. I've got a really long article on this if you want to link to that as well. Uh, what's it called yeah, on medium. But um, if you guys watch the video on our, our YouTube channel as well, you'll kind of get a gist of it, but there's a couple different types of business models. There's direct to consumer, which is like a Casper. I'm going to sell you this awesome mattress and cut out all the middlemen. That mo model can work really, really well, but only in really inefficient industries because otherwise the competition just comes in. I don't know about you, but everywhere I look now, I see a new ad for a mattress company doing exactly the same thing. Casper kind of won because they got there early, but it's not something that's sustainable long-term in terms of launching new products. Then you see like a shipping type model, like an Instacart, et cetera. Those were hot until suddenly we realized, shit, they can't make any money because with shipping, I want it faster, I want it cheaper, and I don't give a crap who gets it to me as long as it gets here fast and cheap. So all of those companies are just burning money. You have subscription, subscription services, so those can work really well for certain things, but 
at the end of the day, I only need so many pairs of shirts, only so many pairs of shoes. So if you have a subscription shoe company, you're going to get all the people that are really interested about shoes initially. But then as you have to grow and expand, especially if you take VC money, you have to have these ridiculous growth curves. You're going to start getting into the customers who, well, I'm not actually that interested about shoes. So you're going to have to start spending more and more on a cost of user acquisition. Then there's the model with uh, the subscription box, which is like a Blue Apron, same deal. Blue Apron was great until they went public. And then they realized, OK, no one else really wants these boxes. And now they're all canceling. And now Blue Apron stop, stock is completely tanked. Pr oh, private, wow. label and white li private, uh, private label, white label type stuff, it's not something that I would start now personally. I would definitely focus if you want to build an e-commerce business. You have to be incredible when it comes to acquiring customers, retaining customers, and then building a product that's completely differentiated. That doesn't mean like you're doing a two pack instead of a one pack. That means like you right. you find out there's some, there's some fatal flaw with a product or you completely create a new product. Like those funny things you would see on TV, like those sexy ab hip flexor type fitness products uh, that someone who goes out and creates and invents and design something on their own. If you're doing it that way, that way you can win with e-commerce. The other way that could be really interesting is just commercializing interesting technology. So there's a really cool company that I I'm, I really like. They're called Viome. And basically what they'll do is they'll analyze your gut and look at the, the, different, um, the different things that are in your microbiome. And what they've found, not what they've found, but what science has found is the problems that you have in your gut, the inflammation, the different things that are going on, those cause the vast majority of disease, like Alzheimer's, cancers, et cetera. All of it's linked to what's happening in your gut. But what these guys did is they basically took the existing research and then found a way to build a product around something that was not being served and created an e-commerce company doing that. That's where I think you could be really interesting in e-commerce is find the people that have incredibly interesting products, services, research, software, and be the person who builds the business out of that. Right. Yep. Like, um, yeah, 23 and me or whatever. Now it's like, that's exactly. huge you know, out of, out of a brand new technology. They're the ones to bring it to the Instagrams, bring it mm -hmm. to the masses, I guess, and make it just like, boom, order now shipping to you done. Um, yeah. okay, cool. So that, that was great. And so just kind of recapping that section there with the Amazon thing, um, <laughs> It's scary how big they're getting. I think everyone agrees, and I think most people agree. Monopolies are bad. You know, there are anti-monopoly laws in you know in America and most countries. But yeah, I think at the they end of the work. day, they don't work though. Yeah, they don't work. They, like from the history of the the Rockefeller uh, oil um, uh, empire, they uh, the government broke that up, and then uh, Rockefeller got richer. And so yeah, didn't really do anything. Antitrust laws, in, in the US at least, they're designed to protect the consumer. So as long as the price the consumer pays is not more, it's not fixed up artificially, the US government does not care about antitrust. So for instance, with Google, Google could own your entire life, but because the experience you have of using Google, advertising, et cetera, it's all free for you, consumers, even though Google can go and step on Yelp and just copy paste all of their reviews, there's no antitrust there because the consumer didn't pay more money. So the, the concept of antitrust is flawed in today's economy because it's not necessarily the consumer that people need to focus on, it's the business. So the EU is doing a much better job on this. They're being, they're being a bit more protectionist, which in some ways can be negative, but in a lot of ways, at least they understand the game that's being played. Yeah, it's a very interesting time. And we could, we could go on Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, 
the big four, as they say, and how big they're getting is uh, I can understandably how many can view this as um, a tad concerning <laughs> how big these major and as we as we even go into the future, you know, people are talking about like, are Google, Facebook, Amazon and Apple going to like dominate the planet and like colonize the space and be like, <laughs> you know, like, or just like form some elite super pack and like own humanity, like for, for the infinite future. Like it's crazy. Have you seen Wally? Amazon is that company by and large. Oh, I don't know if you know, I, I don't know if you know Wally, but Amazon's uh, by and large uh, is the company that owns everything. Yet. Yeah, it's the company that runs the world and has replaced the government. That that's what Amazon's on the course to do. Apple, Something no chance. Like that, yeah. yeah, Google, Google, no chance. Facebook, God, no, definitely not happening. But Amazon, yeah, no. right. So yeah, it's yeah. We live in this you know free market economy, which is obviously great. And um, but as we go into the future and like some futuristic Wally situation where uh, Amazon takes over basically the world is. Um, you know whether that's ethical or not is and whether that's positive in a net you know respect to humanity is a whole nother debate but um interesting times and uh yeah interesting interesting times at least but you know as i'm saying this even even like the government like what is the government you there's a, one way to look at it is just it's just a company it's just a group of people that had control at one point you know back in the day hundreds of years ago and now they're just the the, the controlling you know party group of people so mm -hmm. and that's what amazon is just another company so like company and government it's just a group of people that yeah, have control over other people and or have, have the most money resources the power etc anyways okay that was good let's move on to the next uh one and uh kind of a good segue your uh, another video you posted recently was uh, 3d printing and the future of manufacturing so a game changer it could be and i love this one is 3d printing everyone knows about 3d printing it's like early adopter phase right now so we have 3d printing where a lot of people are saying yeah in the future in the coming decades we can print anything i mean right now we could print an iphone case but um we're going to be able to print a microphone print technology and then going further into the future which, um, or maybe even not, um, you're, are you also talking about future of clean meat, which is uh, nanotechnology printing, printing uh, life, printing at the nano level. So yeah, give us your spiel, first of all, on the 3D printing um, revolution. So 3D printing has been super hyped and super disappointing so far. But right now we're in kind of the, every tech cycle, if you can see my camera, there's like the trial of disillusionment, there's the dip. There's whatever you want to call it. Things go up. Yeah. We get all excited about it. There's new technology. There's promise. We have technologists. We have entrepreneurs. They're all busting their ass to make something incredible happen. And they know it's going to happen, but they got the timing wrong. The timing wasn't quite right. So with 3D printing right now, it's too expensive in terms of the printers. It's too expensive in terms of the, the ink, the resins, and there's not enough demand. So if you wanted to create an iPhone 15 years ago, I, 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 God, I would love to know what Jobs paid for the first prototype of an iPhone. It was probably, I, I mean, a million, two million, five million bucks, something ridiculous, because that's what happens when you have essentially no scale. When there's scale, suddenly the price, the economics start to work and make sense. The same is true with 3D printing. As it becomes something where it's more than just these little boxes printing out these tiny little things that kids designed for DIY, 
or for industrial type applications like fixing something on the on their car, et cetera, they need a new part. As we as we grow that, that'll be it'll be more interesting. It'll be cheaper. But 3D printing has some major implications that isn't always talked about. So where are all of your products manufactured right now, Riley? Probably China. Uh, oh, how'd you know? Exactly. So A, let's let's throw some tariffs on them because that's a great idea. But B, in terms of um, in terms of 3D printing, as we have 3D printers distributed around the world, what's the point of having factories in one or two locations? There isn't. What's the point of all of these containers used for shipping? There isn't. What's the point of these container ships? There isn't. As we start manufacturing, suddenly the entire global supply chain breaks down because no longer are any of these are any of these restrictions that they don't make any more sense because we could just print something, whether it's an iPhone, whether it's we're printing out food, et cetera. They're, God, they're printing organs right now. And they're getting to, towards the point where the organs are actually better than having a, a kidney replaced from someone else because unlike having a kidney replaced where you have to match the blood types and maybe your immune system rejects it, when you print something out, you can design it so it has the, the right immune properties so that you can just use that. So there's people that now either via artificial or uh, 3D printed organs were, are preferring that to a, a human replacement because they don't have to worry about it rejecting and killing them potentially. So there's some really interesting stuff there. There's some really interesting stuff in terms of having that democratized access. There's really interesting stuff in terms of personalized medicine. If you look at medicine, um, I can't remember the stats. Damn it, I don't have the stats on my head. But uh, it's a ridiculous percentage of people are taking medicines that aren't designed to treat their symptoms. I, I want to say it's something like um, 60 to 80% of people that are on SSRIs, um, anti-depression drugs, are on those drugs not because not to treat a, a psychological symptom, but to treat some type of some type of um, related related symptom or problem. It's not to treat what the drug is designed for. They're using it just as the side effects. Yeah. Now, when we think about side effects, there's a lot of side effects for most drugs. So, like let's say mace. Yeah, there's a girl that's trying to protect herself from having problems. She sprays it in someone's face. It doesn't work on 10% of the population. It's if um. something. That, as effective as that doesn't work on 10% of the population, think about the unintended consequences of drugs that are designed for one thing, having different side effects in your body. They're toxic, they're yeah. causing problems, et cetera. Personalized or 3D printed medicines, as we're able to figure out, A, the genetics, so we're able to look at your genetics, your, your gut microbiome, your epigenetics, et cetera, as we're able to take that information and create drugs on demand for individuals, rather than having a billion dollars that has to go into the pharma, the FDA, uh, the FDA approvals, et cetera, for getting a drug to market, which means you can only ever design something if uh, enough people suffer from it. Suddenly you can conquer a lot of these rare diseases. You can create things that don't cause negative consequences, side effects, et cetera. Um, it's, uh, yeah. it's really interesting. 3D printing, 3D printing will be cool. Right now it's just, it has a ways to go. It needs, it's like a chicken and an egg problem. It will be something that's cool once there's enough volume to make the price points make sense, but there's not enough volume for that until it's something that's a bit more cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it definitely, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's coming, whether that's in, you know, 10 years, 20 years, it, it doesn't matter. Like all these, it's going to come at some point. And then some point after that, it's going to hit the nanotechnology printing revolution where we're going to be able to print these medicines, print food, print a freaking lizard. <laughs> like, Oh my God. Like, um, and like, uh, for people that don't know that are still watching, I, um, was really into the genetics revolution in high school. 
Um, so I actually chose genetics and cellular biology as my college major. So like, um, I remember thinking like that was going to be the next big thing. And like the cure for cancer was going to come from like some gen genetic breakthrough. And, um, because, you know, as we are on the verge of, of mastering life and the way I think about it is once we are able to 3d print at the nano level, um, like a cell, and like supposedly like oh, recently they just did that. They, they recently they, they printed or something like they created the first synthetic organism cell. And um, so like we are in the generation where <clears throat> we are mastering life. <laughs> the first time obviously- I had that guy, on the, pod, I had that guy on the podcast, Lee, Cron Lee Cronin. There, he's um, creating inorganic life. So yep. things that are made out of carbon that are not living yet are evolving and changing and processing. Self-replicating. It's ridiculous. Whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we, we are uh, one of the most fascinating stories of today is we are on the cusp of mastering life. And after we master life, it's like there's so many implications from the from the re-engineering re our own DNA to reverse aging so we can live forever being able to print food uh, because we can like, we're becoming masters of atoms, masters at the nano level. And like, that's basically a way that it, like, I, I described it once, I'm sure we were smoking doobies like four years ago when I was, you know, pre nomad lives on the couch when we, I, I always used to just watch Joe Rogan and, you know, as so many of us do, just smoke a doobie and just, you're just with the boys. He's talking about some, future technology shit like printing at the nanotechnology level being able to like anything take some dust pellets whatever you feed it into a machine that is the closest you can get to like magic like that's what you call spontaneous appearance of things and so if we have that then i could send i could send anything like i can Hey, this is my exact phone. I'm going to scan it and then your machine's going to be able to print an exact replica of it. So that's the type of uh, sci-fi, you know, Star Trek technology that um, is finally, well, not finally, but like in the coming, you know, exponential boom, something that like actually is feasibly possible, which is uh, going to be crazy. Um, and, um, so yeah, there's my rant on that subject, uh, 3d printing at the nano level and mastering matter, essentially, um, we're getting coming to a few, yeah, coming to a future near you people. And so you're talking about the future of, uh, clean meats, farming and agriculture as well. Um, yeah. Did you talk about printing like burgers in there? Or what'd you talk about in that one? So it's not actually printing. Clean meat is something that's going to be transformational. I was a vegetarian for like 12, 13 years. And it was because I didn't like the idea of killing animals to, to eat them. Eventually, I, I gave that up because of access and health choices. Vegetarianism is not that great for you health-wise. But in terms, of, in terms of where we're headed, clean meat. So right now, animal agriculture, it's an $844 billion industry. That's a ton of freaking money. Well, the mass majority of these animals are living in shitty conditions. 
it's dirty, they're pumping full with antibiotics, et cetera. All of those are affecting you, even though you don't realize it. It's kind of like with your hair growing. You're not able to notice changes that happen on a slow scale, but that doesn't mean three months from now, I don't need a haircut. So with clean meat, how it's working, we just had, if you go to fringe.fm and search for clean meat, you can see some really interesting stuff, but we just had Mike Seldon on the program a while back. What they're doing is they're manufacturing um, bluefin tuna on the, in a, in a laboratory, essentially. So imagine growing corn. You take corn, you eat it all except a couple of pieces, and then you plant those pieces. Suddenly new corn grows from that. They're doing the same thing with meat of taking healthy cells from healthy animals, and then they're exposing them to the same type of environment like you would think about with growing corn, and they're growing or expanding upon those cells and letting it grow in a natural sense. It's um, If you ever had a baby, you have sex, the sperm, egg, and then the cells start replicating, same deal. Well, they're doing that for meat in a laboratory they're doing it so you can keep the conditions completely controlled in terms of what you're growing. You can control the fat, the protein, et cetera, how quickly it grows, any type of problems with that. Right now, it's still relatively expensive. So a few years ago, I, I want to say the, the first lab-grown burger was like a million bucks or something ridiculous. The costs have come down considerably and now are projected to be within the next three to five years at cost parity level with traditional animal agriculture. But if you could eat something that you knew was healthy didn't have salmonella, didn't have animals suffering, and it had better access, I mean, the vast majority of people would say, yeah, why not? Well, eventually, as you get to the point where it's even cheaper than existing existing meat products, it's just gonna be something where we look back on this as like, holy shit, we're weak. Well, um, people eat 700 billion pounds of meat per year. That's a hell of a lot of meat. Yeah. Are we, I, I think personally, humanity is gonna look back on this as like, holy shit, did we murder that many animals? And none yeah. of us like to think about it. We don't like to watch the videos of how meat is made because it makes us uncomfortable. And that un that discomfort is going to be what drives clean meat into such a fast and explosive revolution. It's um it's something I'm really interested and passionate about. And it's something where um I want to say nine percent of the nine percent of the CO two, thirty seven percent of the methane emissions, and sixty one percent of the nitrous oxide emissions come from animal agriculture. It's a massive yeah plus for the environment, just eliminating. I mean, when you fart, that's methane, and we have a lot of cow farts. They're causing quite a yeah. bit of problem in terms of climate change. So just yeah, removing that will be a big deal. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this um, this area as well, this clean meat, because like meat, you know, it's it's so good. It's so damn good. But like when I think about it, I was like, oh, man, it's, it's uh, quite yeah it's quite ugly the way the factory farming works and everything and prime for disruption so come on smart people let's let's disrupt this but no yeah growing growing meat uh sexually um in vitro or whatever you call it growing growing it in little circular patties and you know it's already been done there's already companies startups doing this and so i really hope to try my first uh lab grown meat burger like relatively soon who knows it could be a startup shop like in bangkok anytime like who knows um and um the other thing about i was gonna say was oh yeah not only the methane gas but the amount of area like they say like the amount of farmland it's like, it's like, 20, it's like 20 percent of the world or something it's a ridiculous number yeah some ridiculous where that could that could be you know regular farms and you know greenery to help you know make the planet more green and all that um, and if, you, yeah. if you have a laboratory growing meat, you can have it as a skyscraper. So 
You can have meat mm. closer to where it's being used. It can be in cities being grown in buildings. And then all of that extra land, maybe we fix some of the wrongs that humanity's done and we make a little bit more par parks and wildlife area. And if not, we have more space for casinos and hotels, et cetera, but either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vertical farming is uh, definitely a thing that is coming. That's very another uh, exciting, um, exciting future thing. So uh, yeah, looking at your channel here, let's go. Um, let's just uh, I'll, I'll rant off some some rapid fire questions for you. Um, are there aliens? And what's your spiel on that? Like, where are all the aliens? And what's your take? Fermi paradox. So I've heard I've heard a couple of interesting explanations for this. So, in my opinion, the most likely situations are a life is rarer than we think it is, and that emergence from something into nothing takes a lot has a lower percentage probability than we'd expect. B yeah. something that could be very interesting. We could the the simulation theory is actually quite quite an interesting one, especially I just had Eric Ledesinski on the program. He runs D-Wave, uh, a quantum computing startup that's raised $230 oh, wow. million. Dollars. And oh, basically yeah. what, they're, what they're doing with quantum computing, it's a way to simulate every single probability possible, essentially. Um, you'd have to listen to the podcast to, to get a bit of an, a better explanation. He does a really good job of explaining it. But essentially, I, Elon Musk's we're in a simulation People laugh about it because they find it uncomfortable, not because it's not actually likely. It, I would put that as a high likelihood scenario. And then just the, the third most likely that I would say is species wipe themselves out or become lackadaisical. So imagine a world where suddenly we have ubiquitous VR and there's incredible experiences. I can be Kanye West and I can have beautiful girls and be driving in my car and doing all of this incredible stuff, living in a matrix type world. Well. If you're living in a matrix type world, you're not exploring other places. So you're kind of just stuck wherever the hell you are. Humanity can devolve. Humanity already is devolving where we're in our smartphones stuck like this while we're on the train thinking about things and not actually doing anything. We used to dream about going to the stars and now kids dream about getting a new iPhone. It's it's kind of disappointing. And that could be, that could be in my opinion, the third most likely. Uh, not necessarily in that order, but those are the three most likely scenarios, I would say, for why Humanity hasn't been uh, had any type of contact. Yeah. So um, if you were oh, to no. bet, and the fourth, of course, we've got to say conspiracy okay. theories. We've got to say, okay, possibly yeah. it did happen before, but a we don't remember it. B uh, people don't want us to know. But that's uh, that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. That there are aliens like walking among us, and you know they're they're oh, shapeshifters. I don't think. That, I don't think I, I'm I'm not I'm not Men in Black. I'm not that far. <laughs> Um, so if you were to, if you were to bet, you know, I'm like Joe Rogan was asking, uh, Elon Musk, like, yeah, if you were to bet, are, are we in a simulation or not? The odds would be very high towards yes, but I would say no. And then I think the reason I would say is, um, Believing that you're in a simulation will act, make you act a certain way. But whether or not you're living in a simulation or not, that is your reality. Um, I, I can't remember what philosopher said it, but he said something to the effect of, I think, therefore I am. Yeah. And I don't know that you're thinking. I don't know that you're actually not a really complicated artificial intelligence. But I know that I'm not. And even if 
my being as a simulation, that's still my being, that's still my life. So it kind of becomes an irrelevant question. But it's it's one that we can kind of play with a little bit. But I don't think I don't think no that we're in a simulation because even if we were, that simulation is still life. Yeah, right. It it doesn't matter if we are because yeah, it's really it's it's just one of those as fans of the philosophy as we are, one of those fun questions to ask, to ponder and ask about the philosophy of life. And uh, yeah, as we go into these AI times where, you know, by the time we're our parents or grandparents age, we could have some sort of VR video game that is indistinguishable from reality, which would be absolutely We will, not, not we could, we will. I don't, think it, I don't think it's a we could. I think it's going really, really quickly yeah. in terms of the, the VR and the technology. And also when we're, what you, you keep saying when we're our parents and our grandparents age, I think people are gonna start living longer, the ones that put in the effort. I think, I think we're at that edge right now. I'm not gonna say we're gonna live exponentially longer. I'm not that absurd, but I would say there's a very high probability that humanity's average, at least among high income and high effort type people will be living uh, significantly longer per percentages. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was telling you via the chat, like, um, you know, I, I've asked a, a couple people like about the idea of living forever, and um, the most people are like, "Whoa, living forever!" Like that's kind of like unfathomable. So I switched my question to like, "Would you be down to live till 150 if you were in, you know, a capable body, like let's say 50 or 60?" And um, yeah. It's an interesting question because, best, uh, yeah. The best way I've seen it worded is uh, there's a podcast called Exponential Wisdom with Peter Diamantis and Dan Sullivan. And Dan Sullivan asks everyone that he coaches, and I'll do it for you now. How old do you think you're going to live to be realistically? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, uh, based on today's current level of technology, I would definitely say um, – I could live to a hundred plus because I'm a healthy, okay. try to be a healthy guy. I can live to a hundred one hundred, a hundred. Yeah, okay. Let's say a hundred and one. Let how, how do you want to be one year earlier when you're a hundred? How do you think you'll be? Describe right. yourself. Um, yeah. Before that a hundred and one. Yeah. I'll, I'll be being able to stand up and walk because, you know, I saw a YouTube video. He says, my name's, Jimmy and uh, I'm 101 years old today and you know there's people that can talk and walk around and be functional around the house and they're they're 101 so yeah definitely be functional around the house and what about what about your brain and your mind so your body is still working yeah body's still working mind is still working I can still watch a YouTube video have a phone call mind is still good what percentage of yourself would you be roughly Mm, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I would hope that I would be 100% of myself, you know, not no delusional. Yeah, I'd be 100% myself. Okay, so let's say you're 100% of yourself. You're still in okay physical shape. You're walking around, you're moving, you're like that craggy old man. You're, your mind yeah. is still there. You're, you're, you're teasing little kids, you're making jokes, you're hopping on YouTube calls. What's yeah. the odds that if you're at that level of capability that you die the next year? Odds that I die the next year. Yeah, I, I would say, uh, oh, that level of capability. I don't know, 50% every year. So, get okay, really, so getting really close. 
So we, we've added at the very least several years to your life, because if you're in this good of shape, or at least that's where you want to be, then realistically speaking, you'll live longer than 101. That's kind of like the concept of when you get people to think about how they want to be, then it, it, it changes the way you think about the future and, and makes it a longer time horizon that you realize, actually, if I'm, if I'm kicking butt and I'm working pretty hard and I'm doing the things I got to do, I'm going to live a hell of a lot longer than I think I am. So like if people think they're going to live to 70, they live to right around 70. If people think they're going to, if they don't think or try to do something, they're just never going to do it. So you got to mm. kind of shift the way you think about that. It's a, it's an interesting yeah. perspective. That yeah, I that, that's great. Like ask them how, like ideally, how, how mm -hmm. long would you like to live like right now? And then this is, you know, they're going to think based on today's current level of medical technology and everything. And then, okay, if they, if they're ambitious and you know, they're living a happy life, like someone like me and like, yeah, I would love to keep this show rolling as long as we can. And you know, what's realistic today. Okay. A hundred is realistic. Um, you know, it's not definitely not average because the average person drinks Coca-Cola and, uh, you know, it's not totally health conscious and thinking about longevity. So if someone as young as me, I already think about longevity and health. Yeah. hundred is realistic, you know, because people live to a hundred, but, uh, and then, after that, you can start introducing somewhat to Peter Diamandis in the concept of exponential medicine and exponential technology and a law of accelerating returns. And then they're going to be like, oh, yeah, chances are I'm going to live longer than what's possible right now in 2018. Like <laughs> by the time we're 60 and, you know, 2050, who knows? But like. I don't know. Do, do you think that that there will be a technology, you know, you know, in the coming decades where we can like really slow our aging so we can like live in like a 50 something year old body for like the next 50 years or something like that? So uh, my goal is 153 and to be nice. healthy at that, to be healthy before that. So what I see is right now, even just even just your core basics, exercising, not cardio, but actually doing decent exercising, um, healthy eating. So from what I can see, uh, high fat, medium protein, low carb type diet, those two things alone have significant increased human longevity potential in terms of if you can cut out the reasons why you're going to die, which are generally due to disease, heart attack, um, yeah. Alzheimer's, things of that nature. Like think about, think about the people you know. How many people that you know recently have died of old age? And how many of them died of something? It was a, it was a symptom, a cause, Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera. It's almost all the, it's almost all the symptoms of diseases. If you're able yeah. to cut out those diseases, you live significantly longer. So I would say we might not have a specific technology that extends life. I had Aubrey de Grey on the program. If you guys are interested in this, we just did a we just did a roundtable on human longevity. You'll find it on our YouTube channel or on Fringe FM. But we just yeah. did a roundtable. He was fibers, for, for, for people that don't know, he's like the world leader on longevity. Matt had him on the mm -hmm. podcast. Like I've been following Aubrey de Grey and watching videos for for years. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's a fascinating dude, but there's like, I, I want to say it was somewhere between five to seven different things that they were focused on for improving longevity. And each of these was different. Uh, each of these were different technologies, different approaches, but basically the, the way that you would think about this is like recycling rather than throwing something out and building a huge um, garbage pile. If you can reuse or 
uh, repurpose something for something else, you're creating less damage in the body. So his whole approach, the summary of it is to, as damage occurs, to be able to reduce or eliminate or refresh that damage so that suddenly aging is kind of slowed down. Now to think about aging, there's, there's what's called a, a human longevity escape velocity. So for instance, once we get to the point where we're able to add one year of healthy human life for every year of technological progress, that's the point at which if that continues, you will live forever because we're adding a year after a year after a year, you're getting a year and a year and a year older, the numbers just cancel each other out plus one minus one. So that's kind of yeah. um, that's kind of that. You can find out a little bit more. I would recommend listening to the podcast. It's a real interesting one. He has an incredible British accent, so that's always fun to listen to. Yeah, but, I listened to a, a good chunk of your interview with him. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, and and so like Kurzweil talks about like there will will invent these medicines that will be um, basically um, yeah basically nanobots, you know, custom designed mm -hmm. cells that are programmed from us to go in there and anything that's messed up, uh, fix it. It'd basically would be like an, a superhuman cell that like a super duper immune uh, cell that can repair anything, you know, a hundred times better than any natural cell. We're gonna like create these super cells, super immune cells that will just like patch up, eliminate all waste and just keep us inevitably super, yeah, super right. I think it's possible, but I would definitely say, um, don't forget Occam's razor. The simplest solution is almost always the best. So, in terms of in terms of longevity, if you're focused on or banking on having some type of technological innovation that's going to save your life in the future, that's just foolish. If you're not doing what's necessary now in terms of health. Uh, diet, etc., to extend your life in general. Because the longer that you live, the less you're aging now. The easier it is to live until the point where there's better technology. So you, you've got to at least be putting in that effort too. You can't take the you can't take the magic pill, pill and have the six pack. You got to do it's diet plus nutrition. And generally, yeah. with that, at least it's ninety percent diet. Exactly. So um, segueing on the ninety percent diet thing. Um, so for someone who's eating just like the typical Ameri American diet, like for someone's, you know, parents, what's the one thing that they can either add or cut out of their diet that would be the 80-20 as far as extending their longevity? I'm going to cheat and say check out Headstrong. It's a really good book from Dave Asprey, the, the Bulletproof Coffee guy. But basically what I would recommend and what I've seen from the folks that I've talked to is the human body is not designed to process carbs, sugar, glucose, um, bread, gluten, etc. the the high fat the high fat medium protein low carb diets are the ones that seem to have the highest results in terms of slowing aging, feeling better, better mental performance, best um, less inflammation. So inflammation in the gut and in your body is the cause of most diseases. Uh, um, inflammation, like you take a you take an aspirin, not an aspirin. Uh, a Tylenol, et cetera, to heal inflammation in your foot. Well, you have that inflammation everywhere. Anything that you can do to promote mitochondrial health and reduce inflammation seems to be, it seems to lead to increased health, um, reduced disease, better performance, et cetera. So if I was yeah. gonna say any one thing, if it doesn't, if it comes in a box, don't fucking eat it. If I could only give one piece of advice. Nice, yeah, natural food, uh, of course, and as as they say, like inflammation is the cause of 
pretty much all chronic diseases. The, the top big two: cancer and heart disease. You know, inflammation, cancer, heart, cancer, and and Alzheimer's and dementia and all the neuro the neurodegenerative ones as well. There's yeah. inflammation in your brain. Yep. Keep an alkaline mm -hmm. body, and everyone knows green food is great for that. And um, what about sugar? No, don't do it. Um, sugar. Uh, Sugar is like the most addictive drug that there is. If you look at what it does to your body, just the the release of the I mean, it releases drugs like a like a crack addict. It releases dopamine. It's massive spikes. But then it also it everything that I have seen. I I used to be a real big fruit guy, and I still I'll still do it occasionally. I, I alternate now between a between a keto and a paleo diet. You can't really do keto forever because you run out of uh, you run out of nutrients, etc. But I found it to be really, really good in terms of myself for performance, feeling better, healthier, more energy, all of the all the good stuff. And yeah, I would I would avoid sugar. It seems to be it seems to be worse than just about anything else, except for like poorly processed like fried food and vegetable oils. Yeah. Yeah, what uh, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of videos now talking about sugar and like how it's uh, you know just as bad as alcohol, and I think that's a good way to frame it to to people, especially you know uh, older aging people, is like, did you know that, like sugar is actually bad, just as bad as alcohol, and like it used to be that like trans fats were the enemy, but like they're saying like sugar is the enemy. That that's actually what's causing the acidity. Uh, in your so, in your in inflammation in, in your body, like to a large part, especially if, when we we're living in the Coca Cola age and the ice cream age. Uh, and um, cancer cancer growth is driven driven by glucose. So if you cut glucose out, then generally cancer has a much harder time of of taking root. And also with uh with the sugar thing, there was something else. Um, oh fuck, I'm not gonna remember what that's. Oh um, they found that they found that heart disease wasn't caused by high fat consumption. Uh, if you just increased, if you just increased sugar consumption, that was what drove the heart disease. If you had the high fat with the low sugar, then you you actually had a better better outcome. This is my understanding. Again, I would I would look into all this for yourself, but uh, yeah, yeah. check out check out check out Asprey's book, Headstrong. He's a he's a really smart guy. He might be a little woo woo on certain things, but in general, I think that uh, I think that that approach seems to be. Uh, I, I mean, and, and it makes a lot of sense. When the hell? When the hell did your ancestors have access to sugar or food uh, around yeah, right? the clock? They, they didn't. Yeah. They would. They would go and they would find something that was running and they would shoot it in the head with an arrow and then they would, even before they would cook it, they would just eat it and it was fat and protein and that was it. There's yeah, no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Yeah. So, I, I was kind of explaining, trying to mention some of these things to my parents when I was uh, on my annual summer visit home. That makes and, two of us. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I was explaining the fasting thing. So I actually did a forty-eight hour fast uh, earlier How'd that in the go? year. Um, it was. Uh, I'm, it's one of the proudest things I've done in my life. Super proud of myself, and I've actually done it. Uh, I did it like last month too. Um, and this last month, I tried to make it through the second night, and I still couldn't. Like the second night, like forty-eight hours has just passed. I'm going to bed, and like some people. Uh, describe like adrenaline, like your adrenaline's just like, like apparently because your body is trying to say like, all right, go hunt, get food, like ketones. Um, so what? You, what is that? The ketones that are like so your, your body starts. Your, your body starts to. You have two different energy sources: glucose and and ketones. Glucose driven by uh, carbs. Ketones driven by fat. Ketones are more efficient. So your your brain at least is twenty five percent more efficient on ketones because they have to go through less cellular 
less cellular processing in order to be used as energy. And they seem to be a more consistent, um, uh, here's, here's a, an example, go eat a high fat food, a high fat uh, meal, now go eat a high carb meal and tell me when you get hungry first. The high carb meal every time is gonna make you hungrier yeah. faster. But uh, what I do is I do, I do intermittent fasting every day. So I don't eat 16 hours of the day and then I'll eat from uh, like a early late lunch until like an early earliest dinner. And that seems to work really well for me. It was, it was super hard the first couple of times, but then after that, it's, uh, it's gotten a lot easier. Coffee makes it easier as well. Yeah, yeah, and basically. That, that's the best for, thing they've shown. For breakfast. Yeah, that's the best thing they've shown so far for, uh, for human longevity is just uh, fasting is actually the most effective I've seen. Cool, yeah, I've been, I've been doing the, uh, the intermittent fasting. Well, I've been doing coffee for breakfast for a while, but now I've been recently trying to do the, the eight, uh, eight hour window of eating only. So like do it properly. I've, I've been doing that this week. Um, just do coffee, you, just do coffee without any oil or anything in it. If you just do coffee plain, it's still fasting. Yeah. It's yeah. Just Basically coffee for breakfast slash brunch. And then, um, yeah. Um, so have you done, have you done a, a extended fast before? I haven't, I've thought about doing it. Um, it's just something that, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's contra yeah. to how I initially, learned about health enough that it's challenging yes. for me but um yeah I, it's something i will do in the future but I, yeah i yeah. recently started i recently started i kind of i kind of stumbled into it because uh, some juice company in bangkok offered me a free um three-day juice cleanse where you're only drinking juice and i was like oh sure it's for free you know yeah sure i'll try it um mm -hmm. uh, and so i did that and i was watching a lot of youtube videos on juice cleansing i went just down the wormhole on juice cleansing and then you know, people were debating juice cleanse versus water cleanse. What's better? And then went down the wormhole on water cleansing, aka fasting. And uh, so I just got so curious about it. I just had to try it. So yeah, yeah. tried it, tried it myself. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh it's interesting. Obviously, a lot of people swear by it. Some people think it's not good. But what I was explaining to my parents and what really kind of got through to them is um, I was explaining the sugar thing and how well, this is the only time in history where we humans eat sugar like this and this is also the only time in history where we're doing one thing or we're not doing one thing that we have always done for millions and millions of years and that is periods of fasting and they were oh, like too, yeah. and they were like oh oh yeah that kind of does make sense like all humans are hunter gatherers you know before recently relatively and there's periods of like feast and famine. Like maybe you'll go a couple days without food, maybe weeks. You know, as we as we know, people can go weeks and weeks and weeks without without food. And like there's there's these fasting centers that like do this, so supervise. And um, you know, at the very least, you know, just 24 hours or something like that. So that actually really piqued their interest. And as soon as I said that, I was explaining um, why it's so healthy. I was because I was explaining um, as uh, as the science degree. Kid, I was trying to trying to impress my parents with my knowledge of, uh, of science, so they feel like they uh, I got some value out of my science degree. I was like, so our, our cells are very smart when we are when we're in a period of fasting. Our cells are actually very smart. Um, is it starts to our bodies start to recycle damaged cells and old cells first, and get out and clear out all the bad stuff for energy to use up all this energy first and for energy and nutrients of course burning fat for the energy and for the nutrients recycling old and damaged cells first for the healthy ones 
And my dad, he was like, yep, I want that. He's like, you know, that, that, that kind of clicked for, you know, someone, some of my parents say, Ooh, get rid of all the gunk and the old cells and the damaged cells, like all the precancerous cells and stuff like that. That sounds good. And uh, so, Hey, there's a tip for, you know, anyone watching, explain it to your parents like that. And literally the next day they were like, Hey Riley, when are we doing this 24 hour fasting? And that's just like, start with 24 hours. Um, you know, have dinner, go to bed, and don't eat again. You know, have coffee for, for breakfast and lunch. Don't eat until the next dinner. And and they were totally down for it. And um, and we we did it actually until we got interrupted by relatives coming. But um, they were totally into it. So I was I thought that was cool. I uh, I just sent my mom um I just sent her a simple impossible to screw up link to the to the headstrong book on audible i sent her uh because i because i run the podcast i get the free uh affiliate stuff and the free trial thing so i sent her that and said just click this it'll download to your phone and listen to this and then we can talk because i i recognize for for kids talking to their parents uh, a lot of times parents have trouble accepting that the kids know more than they do if you have someone who has very strong scientific credentials explaining it in a in a simple well-written way that they can listen to while driving places, et cetera, then it's uh it's harder to ignore and easier to uh to fall into the rabbit hole, which is ultimately better for them and better for better for us. Yeah, awesome. So uh one more subject here I want to touch ask you about this because I've uh for whatever reason been going down the wormhole on this subject, been seeing a lot of mainstream media coverage about this recently, and I've been going down the the YouTube wormhole is the subject of college and entrepreneurship and is college killing entrepreneurship? And uh, I've been writing a couple blog articles uh, about this subject because you know apparently, or occasionally, young people ask me about college. You know, they see my type of entrepreneurial life on YouTube and how fun it is and everything. And um, is is college good? <laughs> it depends on what you want to do. Yeah, what's your what's so, your take? It depends on what you want. Oh, um, oh I should send you a, I recently, I, I've done a couple of um, article style poems. I need to send you this one. Uh, it's called Education, a Tragedy. And it's basically about the, the state of the education system. Remind me, uh, shoot me a, a message after this and I'll send you a link. You can add that. But basically, in my opinion, it depends on what you're studying. But if it's not, if you're not doing a, a STEM type field, science, technology, education, mathematics, or medicine, then I don't think college makes a lot of sense. So most people that are going to college are going there, they're doing their four years. And I would say the most valuable thing they're getting from that, in addition to the however many thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt they're going, is just the social interaction and learning how to be on their own. I don't think it's the, the education they're getting. Typically, college is so far behind the education that when you go into college, the job that you'll be working in, in the even when you come out or in for the majority of your career, has not even been created. So that 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 first of all just creates a, a problem. I, I know people that are studying digital marketing and they'll graduate college and they'll never do a course on social media. And that alone tells you what you need to know is they're just not getting it. I studied mechanical engineering and that has nothing to do with what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I think learning can be really, really valuable. So this is part of the reason I started Fringe FM is we get the world leaders from different topics and that's Fringe.FM. We get the world leaders from different topics, quantum computing, AI, space, genetics, longevity, everything that we've been talking about, we get them on and not because a podcast is where you're going to learn the vast majority of things, but a podcast is where you can get exposed to different 
concepts, technologies, futures that you could potentially be a part of. Then if it's something where you need more education to get involved, go do it. If it's something where you can just learn enough from YouTube, podcasts, et cetera, that works as well. That's how I learned e-commerce. That's how you learned e-commerce. That's how a lot of people learn yeah. the, what they do for their career. I just had a, I just had Google's number one futurist on the program and he said he thinks in the, in, in people's careers, um, millennials that are born now, they'll have eight to 10 different careers. If you're spending $50,000, $100,000 per college and you have to go and change your career and do this, it yeah. makes much more sense to go and focus on like a micro college type system. So maybe you go yeah. and code academy, code academy and you learn to program or you're learning different things from different sources. I'm not saying don't go to college. If you're in a situation where you've got the economic success in your family and it's not a problem, then sure, you can go to college and it's really not going to hurt you. But if your parents have to struggle to put you through college or you have to struggle to do all of this extra work to get that piece of paper, if you want to be an entrepreneur, going to college doesn't have a lot of value in my opinion because starting your own business and failing and then starting your next and your next and your next and failing, you're going to learn a hell of a lot more from that and have a better resume than someone who went to college almost irregardless of where they went. You might not have as good of connections, but I know I built some pretty good, a pretty good network. Just, I did the Chiang Mai and the digital nomad thing. I did that for quite a while and I, you meet a shit ton of people. If you go out of your way to get the social interaction part and you either intern with someone who's got a business, you try to start your own business or you focus on education in some form of like a code academy, et cetera. I think there's a lot of situations, anything that's any, there's, a, there's a lot of careers that are better learned by doing or by apprenticing than there are yeah. through theory. So for instance, yeah. you can have a programmer come out of a four-year CS school and they're, I mean, they don't know shit compared to someone who's been working in a startup doing programming or building websites, et cetera, because they've already been doing it. They might have better theory, but just the the doing it is is more valuable. Same thing with a lot of different types of careers. So yeah. I would say... I would say college in American uh, in English speaking countries is completely broken. It's overly expensive and for a lot of situations just totally not necessary. Certain certain people need college, but if you're going and getting a liberal arts degree, you're just burning money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I like how you bring up the point where if, if it's financially not a problem for your family, like that's okay. I I haven't written about I haven't touched on that point yet. That's a great uh, point because um, I feel I feel like at the end of the day most people go to college just for the social aspect. It's just because the environment in your high school is, all right, it's college application time. Everyone in the classroom takes time to fill out college application. It's just like what you do. It's the conveyor belt that you're on. And there's no high school class or whatever that's like, is college for you? And so this is why I'm so passionate talking about this subject because my career is, you know, the YouTube revolution. It's the education revolution. YouTube changed my life. An online course changed my life. My entire income is based off of a $600 online course that I bought in 2013. And now it goes for two grand, but it's just like, I created my entire They're selling that drop shipping course for two grand? I think, I think the dropship lifestyle is like, maybe the medium package is like two grand, but you know, prices go up over time, but I, I bought it for $600 when it was like kind of new. And my whole entire career is, is even though I do Amazon, like it's whatever. I bought a course about e-commerce, about online, getting into online shopping and create a, finding a niche and, you know, getting into the online shopping industry. And so that's why I can speak passionate about, like, about this because yeah, college was fun and everything, but like it, if, if the money, if you're really trying to make the most economical decision and not go into debt, 
There's so many of these great online courses that are specific towards something that you might want to do. And, you know, especially lots of courses on lifestyle businesses. If your goal is to travel around and experience the world and take some risks in your 20s, which many entrepreneurs say this is the time to do it, like, you know, Gary Vee in particular, 20 and 30s, this is the time to take risks, kids. Uh, you know, start that crazy, start that band, start that YouTube channel, start that, uh, you know, this crazy idea. And a, a lifestyle business, a type of like, I call it like a life hack business, like an e-commerce business or, you know, a media agency or um, some Kindle book business or an app that you create, something that creates some, can create some passive income. So you have this, now you have time to maybe if you want to live on thousand bucks a month in Chiang Mai, just chill back and live in Chiang Mai. Or maybe you're making, you know, plenty grand so you can live in the States. But if you can do that, now you have time to really take risks like you are doing now with these uh, venture capitalist projects and you're now doing these passive projects but it's all because you started a I don't know if you bought a course or not for the Amazon thing but some people are smarter than others they can do it themselves I personally recommend for the average guy like me a course worked for me and I can't hear you anymore Can you hear me? I think your mic just died, Riley. <laughs> Shit. Anyways, can you hear me now? Does that work? Oh, can you hear me now? Oh, no. Yeah, it works now. Can you hear me now? Technical no? difficulty one, two. I hear you. Okay, you hear me now? We're good. Okay. All right, back. Um, anyways, well, I'll summarize what I was saying there is, yeah, a $600 course, it changed my life and built my whole career. And that now it's just like more and more people are watching YouTube every year. And it's just like college, college is fun, okay? But um, I'm trying to write more blog articles like, helping people go through the process of it is fun, but I think the lot, the past four years of my life have been more fun than college. Uh, that's for sure. You know, college is a lot of drinking and partying and, you know, going to football tailgates and stuff. And of course it was fun. Great time. Met a lot of, you know, friends, lifelong friends and stuff, but I want to make it clear that you can also have fun by going on your own adventure and you can also go to football games on your own adventure. And you can also go to house parties on your own adventure and be making a lot more money faster than all of your friends and be bragging about how much money you have and how much freedom you have to uh, go out to Thailand in the winter and live an endless summer. And uh, anyways, this is just my, uh, my, my thoughts when the, when the youngins asked me, just sharing our thoughts about the education revolution and how we truly are living in the beginning of the education revolution, we are the early adopters, people like you and me and so many online hustlers and digital nomads and entrepreneurs like that we've met. Um, and um, I think success at the end of the day um, obviously comes down to, to you. The college degree is not going to just hand you success. It comes down to, to what you do. You have to go get it and, and stand out. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would agree with that. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to, there's a lot of ways to do it think about what you want before you jump into something yeah exactly simply put think about what you want ask ask all the right questions so yeah if anyone is uh, still watching this um I, i'm writing a, a blog about college and um a list of questions to ask ourselves. you know because a lot of people they don't know what they want you know me even after college a couple years i didn't know what i want and so we, I'm writing a blog with lots of questions to ask ourselves to think about what we value and you know what we want out of life and what we want to do when we're young and et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, I think this was good. In uh, in a few minutes, I have another uh, interview. So this, so this was uh, about an hour and a half. This was great. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Let me send you. Um, I don't know how I got tricked into writing these poems, but let me send you the the education one. And then there's yeah. another one on age, on aging. It might be interesting for if people were interested in this, it might be worth checking out. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I will link it below, and um, I will. Yeah, I'll link everything below. Fringe FM, Matt Ward, the one and only entrepreneur, uh, science, uh, exponential tech investor extraordinaire, and check him out. Fringe FM. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been a this has been a lot of fun, Riley. And yeah, yeah, if you guys like this, make sure to check it out. Yeah, this was definitely a lot of fun. Long time coming, and uh, yeah, I will uh, talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, and go make shit happen, guys. Yes, sir. Awesome.